as believers, we always look to the Word of God to teach us the ways of God, to bring us the light of understanding concerning the heart of God toward us, so that we may know without any shadow of doubt that which is pleasing to the heart of the Father and walk therein. I always say that God is the easiest person to work with. Because you see, the Bible says that there is no variableness with Him, nor shadow due to turning. God's ways are clear cut. God does not deal with ambiguities. His will is not ambiguous for us. It is very clear. It is expressly made known. God doesn't hide anything from us in the sense that His will. He never hides His will from us. Like a lot of people think that the will of God is so mysterious and it cannot be known and you might search your entire life and never come to the discovery of the will of God for your life or the purpose of God for your life. And sadly enough, motivational speakers in our day are making a lot of money out of that deception trying to give people steps to discovering God's will for your life. When the will of God for your life as a believer is clearly and emphatically and expressly made known in black and white in the scriptures. Hallelujah. You don't need to travel a thousand miles to a conference before you discover God's will for your life. It is written in God's word. God's will is not, it's not a hidden thing where you will discover it, if I may say, you know, there's, there's this word we use. I don't know if I, I can pronounce it. Uh, is this serendipitous? Who knows that word? It's almost like you, you just, it's by happenstance. You, you, just, you just bump into the will of God. No, 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 no. It is not something that you would, you would, you would discover by, maybe you're working on, you know, you're just walking around and then all of a sudden something hits you and you say, oh yes, this is the will, this is what I'm supposed to do in my life. And there are many people walking about, when you ask them, oh, I'm discovering God's purpose for my life. I still don't know what to do. I'm still discovering God's purpose for my life. When will you discover it? When will you find it out? I'm still discovering what I'm supposed to do in life. No, for you as a believer, what you are supposed to do and how you are supposed to live is clearly written in God's word. So there is no ambiguity. There is no mystery to it. The Bible says that having known unto us the mystery of his will, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When the Bible talks about the mystery of his, of his will, he's not saying his will is mysterious. The word mystery used in the, in the Bible deals with a secret. All right? God had hidden the secret of revealing Christ for the salvation of the world in his will. And let me tell you something. He hid it from the angels. That is why the Bible says that Concerning these things, the angels longed to look into, but they were not very much aware, until the Son came on the scene and revealed it to us, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But unto us it is given to know, the Bible says, the mysteries of the kingdom. Unto you, the believer, it is given to know the mystery. You have been initiated into that brotherhood of fraternity of believers, who have exclusive access to the knowledge of God's will. 
The unbeliever can read the Bible and may not necessarily discern the will of God for his life. But you as a believer with the Holy Ghost, when you read the Bible, you should immediately discern what God's will for your life is. It's no longer a mystery. Hallelujah. So one of the things I would admonish you as believers to stop saying is, I'm still trying to discover God's will for my life. No. It is clearly stated in God's word. And today I'm going to share one of the will of God for your life. Obviously, the first will of God for your life is to be born again. The Bible says that in times past, God overlooked the ignorance of men, but now commands every man everywhere to repent. Hallelujah. To come to repentance. Salvation is not a suggestion. It is not an advice. It is not even an invitation we throw to unbelievers like we normally do when we preach the gospel to them. Christ is not inviting you to be saved. He is commanding you to be saved. Hallelujah. See, when we study the scriptures, our understanding of the gospel of Christ uh, changes from what we have known through popular, you know, uh, what I say, what has been said over and over again in mainstream Christianity. Because sometimes it goes against the scriptures. Christ is not inviting you to be saved. He's commanding you to be saved. Hallelujah. When the rich man through the feast. The people invited not come. He said, go out and compel them to come in. He said, compelling. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, brethren. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, this is the reason why, this is the reason why, Marin, we have to know God's word. You see, this is the reason why, Felicia, we have to study God's word. All these ambiguities in the faith, they vanish away. All these, you know, assumed knowledge, they vanish away. And then you come to the real knowledge of the truth. And it's so clear, clear and straightforward in the word. You'll be able to order your life that way. You realize that when you come to know the truth of the gospel, your passion even concerning the things of God will change. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. We give God praise. We give God praise. But that's what I want to share one of the will of God for your life. As a believer, what are the question here? What is God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? I want to share one of God's will for your life with you today. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and you see, anytime we preach the word, we expound scripture because the scriptures teach us the life of the New Testament, or would I say the life of the New Covenant. The purpose of the letters of Paul and Peter and the apostles, you know, and the, the other epistles, is supposed to reveal to us the kind of life we have received in Christ and how to live that life. Hallelujah. Amen. So when we, we have to always read the scriptures and expound and, you know, expose the scriptures to ourselves. Ephesians chapter number 5, listen to what, what, what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. I'm reading from verse 15. If you have your Bibles, open there so you know that Pastor Sam is not reading something and introducing anything in there. Hallelujah. Ephesians 5, 15, I read, brethren. The Bible says that, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Hallelujah. So God is saying that we should walk as people who are wise, not as fools. How? 
He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How do we redeem the time? That's one question. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible and you don't understand something, don't just jump over it and go on. Ask yourself question, how do I, God, how do I redeem the time? Because the days are evil. Well, the first question you should ask is, how is a day evil? For example, the, the day we live in now, everybody says, hey, these days are evil. Oh. Why do we say the days are evil? A day by itself cannot be evil. 2015 or 2016 cannot be an evil year by itself. It becomes evil depending on what people do in it. So because of the godless action of people, because of the evil nature of people, because people's evil are increasing, the days are evil. So when the Bible says we should redeem the time, how will we redeem the time? If these people, if the evil of the people is reduced, we are redeeming the time. Hallelujah. That is why we have to up the more preach the gospel. Because that is the only solution to redeeming men from their godless ways and bringing them to the saving knowledge of Christ so that we may redeem the time. If all men are saved and they are living righteous lives, what will we say? The times are what righteous. Will we not say that? Yep. If, if, if we are not oppressing the poor and we are, we are, we are not oppressing the orphans and, and we are, we are being neighbors to the fatherless and we are feeding them and we are taking care of those who are lost and, and, and we are, we are, we are ministering to the sick and, and, you know, the, we are not setting in place laws that oppress, oppress the needy in society and we, we, we are not sanctioning things like same-sex marriage and, and all those kind of things and men are living godly lives in Christ. What, what will we say? The days are righteous. Will we not say that? The days are righteous. You understand? So when the Bible talks about redeeming the time, it has to do with what Paul said to Timothy. He said, preach the word, be instant in season. And out of season. You understand? So we have to continually preach the word so that we may help, we may shine the light of God's word to dispel the darkness in the generation. That's how we redeem the time. So they see then that you work circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Hallelujah. Amen. And listen to verse 17. It says, Wherefore be not unwise. Mm. That means that as a believer you can be unwise. And a man who is unwise is foolish. This is another word for foolish. So God is saying, therefore be not foolish. I remember one time, I think I told Mary, I was sitting in my couch, final year of college, in my apartment. I was sitting in my and God said to me, Sam, don't be a foolish son. Immediately he said, I turned and looked over my shoulder. I said, oh God, why would you say that to me? <laughs> he said, Sam, don't be a foolish son. And you know what he reminded me of? He said, Sam, listen, the word of God will not work for you because you preach it. It doesn't matter how well you can, you know, explain and expound the word of God. It doesn't matter how well you can. You see, heaven is not moved by your preaching because the word God gave it to you himself. So the word of God won't work for you because you preach it. The word will work for you because you believe it and you live it. So he said to me, son, don't be foolish. Don't be a foolish son. And he brought my mind to something. That you will preach and later on you yourself be a castaway. So Paul said that I put my body under subjection. Lest after I preached I'll be a castaway. 
You see, there is no guarantee that because you have started well, you end well. There is a promise rather from the Father that we are not of them that turn back unto perdition, that we are of them that continue to believe unto salvation, meaning that the Holy Ghost will do all He can to help you stay on the right track until the end. But you see, there are certain indicators that will help you not to drift away. For example, the Bible says, I love not the world, neither the things therein. If any man loveth the world, the love for the Father is not in him. And the things of this world are passing away. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. When you begin to love the world, brother, you drift away. The fact that you are a believer and you have begun well in the spirit, Paul said to was it the Galatians, why is it having begun in the spirit, you want to be made perfect in the flesh? You can begin well in the spirit and all of a sudden you drift into the flesh. Paul said concerning Demas, said, Demas has forsaken us, having loved the present world. But then you can start well in ministry and drift away. That is why you must all the more examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Don't get carried away. Don't be so high-minded about yourself. You must always have a humble view of yourself, examining yourself every day. The things I believe are they true? Am I really being true to this faith? Am I really living in private and in public, true to this faith that I profess? Lest your heart be overtaken by deception and you drift away slowly. Slowly. The Bible says in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. Uh, why? Because evil shall abound. Mm. You see, so you can be foolish. You can begin as a wise servant of God, but you might, you might, if you are not careful, you might end up as a foolish son of God. Look at Solomon. Solomon was the man God showed him riches, honor, and all those. He said, I don't want any of these. Just give me wisdom so that I can rule your people right with integrity. What a man. Some of us, if God opened our eyes, I know me, Pastor Sam, if God opened my eyes by riches, honor, and God, God says, which one of these do you, anything you want, I'll give unto you. I say, God, help me consolidate power so that these people, I can, they will not turn against me. But Solomon said, give me wisdom so that I may rule them right. I may shepherd your people well. What a man. But here was Solomon. The Bible says that Solomon loved many strange women, strange women, foreign women of the lands that God had commanded them not to marry off. Solomon began to marry. He went against the word of God. He felt so comfortable in his own righteousness. He felt that, oh, a little slipper doesn't really matter. And then he gradually started going. He started marrying them, making peace, making peace with them by marrying their daughters, the daughters of Pharaoh, the daughters of the Amalekites and the Ammonites. Very soon, they started, he started building, because you have to please your wife, be careful who you marry as men. Be very careful. Because the, the women began to turn the heart of Solomon, that godly man. And today this one will come. Build me a temple for my God, Molech. Build me a temple for my God, Astaroth. Build me a temple for my... And someone said, well, it doesn't matter. I'll just build it for you by me. I will not worship there. And then very soon, oh, honey, won't you come and go with me to... I mean, there's nothing wrong. You're just being in the temple. You don't do anything. And you go there. Then gradual, oh honey, you know, I'm pouring this sacrifice. Would you help me pour this thing? And Solomon said, oh, this one is not in my heart. It's just in my mind. Before you realize Solomon, he was in the temple doing abominable things. 
Solomon died in the temple of God, of heathen gods. How did a godly man end up this way? So there is really no guarantee like that, except when you abide by the, the wisdom of the word of God. So he says, don't be foolish, hallelujah. But he says, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and he's going to tell you what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, he says, and be not drunk with wine. The will of God is not for you to be drunk with wine. Hallelujah. And, you know, this has sparked a lot of debate. A lot of people think, well, believers can drink, but they cannot get drunk. It's okay to drink a little alcohol. God does not, actually, God supports the drinking of alcohol because, you know, in the Old Testament, they drank and, you know, they made merry with wine. We'll leave that debate for another time. Hallelujah. And sometimes people also, because they don't want anybody to, you know, Christian, you cannot even, you, they, like, they, are like, they are like Eve in the garden. You are not even supposed to see alcohol. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, we'll leave that one for another time. But the Bible says, and this is the will of God here. He says, wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Marine, this is the will of God for you. Rhoda, this is God's will for you. Marin, this is God's will for you. It's right. This is the will of God for us, faith generation. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, debauchery, lasciviousness, but be filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. You know, our understanding of this scripture is we always liken the infilling of the Holy Ghost to a man being overtaken with excess wine. You see, be not filled wine wherein is excess, meaning that when you are overtaken by wine, you end up in excesses. There is no restraint on you. Hallelujah. And if there's anything the Holy Ghost does in the life of the believer, he brings something called restraint and self-control. Listen, the Holy Ghost does not make you do things uncontrollably. No. The Holy Ghost, he is a spirit of restraint. He restrains you in the right way. He brings self-control. The mark of a true believer is self-control. Because it is a work of the Holy Ghost in the life of the person. Wine will lead to excess. Excesses. You begin to indulge in the excesses of the flesh. Debauchery. Lasciviousness. And you are under the influence of not yourself, but under the influence of that alcohol. That is what they even call alcohol spirits. You know that. They call alcohol spirits. But he says, rather, be filled with the spirit. But I want to introduce you to something here. Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus. And you know that the, the Ephesus was the place where the temple of Diana was. You, you, I don't know if most of you have heard of the temple of Diana. Diana is this God. Diana is this God in Ephesus. If you look at the God... Her entire breast, she has many breasts, hallelujah. And she's known as the fertility god, and she has so many eggs. That's the temple god they used to worship in Ephesus. And when you go into the temple, one of the things that the heathens, they believed, uh, was that to come, you know, the Greeks, they had a lot of gods, deity, they had gods for everything. God of thunder, god of moon, god of light. God of wine, God of the earth, God of fertility, everything you can name, they have 
the God. Every uh, they have God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They have God for everything. And one of the things they used to believe was that to commune with the gods, you have to get drunk with wine. So when you, when you get drunk with wine, you get, they believe that it allows you to be loose in the spirit and you can, you know, commune with them. So when you go into their temples, there is excess in their temples. They are so drunk with wine and you see them gyrating and moving about and indulging in, you know, all kinds of sexual stuff because they believe that as as they indulge in those things in those excesses they can commune with the gods so they saw wine or being drunk with wine as a means to commune with the gods and and most of them had been delivered from such practices into the church the holy church of god and when they came uh, they were trying to infiltrate the church with some of these ideology one of the things you should understand concerning the churches in those days was that they were in a they were in an environment where their environment was always trying to affect the church like the Corinthians and even in Ephesus as we're reading today the environment and the kind of practices of the heathen were trying to infest the church so they were bringing all these ideologies and practices also into the church and they thought that by doing that if now that they have come if to commune with God they've come to know God through Jesus Christ to commune with God they felt that okay when I was, when I was, you know, a heathen, I was communing with them through the excesses of wine. Maybe I can commune with God also through the excesses of wine. That is why when Paul wrote to them concerning the communion, he said, some of you, you come and then some will be, you eat anyhow and all those, you know, that kind of thing. That's, those were their thoughts. But Paul was telling them that, listen, in Christ Jesus, you don't commune with God through wine or through the excess of wine. You don't you commune with God through the Holy Ghost. So don't get drunk with wine thinking that that would release you into the Spirit to commune with the gods. Rather be filled with the Holy Ghost because it is through the Holy Ghost that you can commune with the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. It is through the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that Jesus, having offered himself through the eternal Spirit, Hallelujah. Jesus, I mean, the Bible says we all have access by one spirit unto the Father. Access by one spirit unto the Father. Access by one spirit unto the Father. Jesus said, and God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. You don't worship God through wine. Worship God through the spirit. So Paul was trying to bring them out of that ideology into it into the, 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 the correct the correct ideology in the faith. And look at what Paul says. When you are filled with the Spirit, Paul begins to list the effect of such infilling. Look at it. The next one, 19. Speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. A man who is spirit is singing in a making melody in his heart. Nothing can take away his joy. He is always giving thanks. He is always abounding with thanksgiving unto God. In the name of Jesus, in all things he's giving thanks. He's always singing and jumping and shouting and all that. I remember 
I was very notorious in first year of college for singing in the shower. And Marion can attest to that. In fact, when I'm in the shower, everybody on the floor knows I'm there. <laughs> so if anybody passes by, oh, Sam is in the shower. Because when I'm there, I'm singing and making melody in my heart. <laughs> so anybody who comes into the bathroom is like, Sam, is that you? I say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, the first, the first fruit of the Spirit in your life, or let me say the first evidence of the Spirit, you become a thankful person. You don't complain. Listen, the Bible says, and this with this house, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, spiritual songs, spiritual songs, psalms and hymns, like David, when David was thinking, look at the psalms he wrote and the things, oh, you begin to abound, you begin to sing in the spirit and sing with your understanding. You are always rejoicing in the Lord. You don't need anybody to tell you that when you are filled with the spirit, that will be the result. How do I know a man is filled with the Spirit? Look at these things. He's always thankful. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. And he's always singing. He's always singing and joyful. He's not always complaining and all that. If you see yourself always, always complaining, 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 worrying, complaining, worrying, let me tell you this. It's probably because you have not been filled with the Spirit yet. If you are truly filled, this will be the result. And look at the second thing. He says, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. When a man is filled with the Spirit, he becomes submissive. He becomes submissive. The fear of God moves him to be submissive. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore then unto God. First, he will submit himself unto God. You become submissive to God. And how do you submit yourself to God? You submit yourself to, to God through his word. Your heart is submitted to the word of God. That means whatever the word of God tells you, you believe it and you do it. That is a mark of a spirit-filled believer. And this is the will of God for you. The Holy Ghost in you, when you are filled with the spirit, you become submissive. Humility becomes your hallmark. And then it spills over into other areas. He says, why submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto lords? Jesus, if your wife who is filled with the Spirit, you submit yourself to your husband. If you are not filled with, your, with the Spirit, you follow all these feminist ideologies, thinking that you and your husband in the marriage relationship are equal. So, you must contend with your husband and rub shoulders with your husband. No, 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 no. That one, you are not, I don't know what you are filled with. Maybe you are filled with feminine spirit. <laughs> but if you are wife and you are truly filled with the spirit, you submit yourself to your husbands. As unto the Lord. That is what the Holy Ghost will do in you as a wife. So as a wife, if you want a fruitful marriage, be filled with the spirit. Hallelujah. Look at it. The next one, for the husband. I know when I said that, the men are saying, oh, yes, that's good. Good preaching, Pastor Sam. <laughs> it says, for the, look at it. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be, be to their own husbands in everything. And then the husband who is also filled with the Spirit, look at it. Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Hallelujah. When a man is filled with the Spirit, he loves wife. How has Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? When a man is filled with the Spirit, he loves his wife and gives himself for his wife. When a man is filled with the Spirit. You see why being filled with the Spirit is so important? The secret, listen, 21 ways for a successful marriage, 15,000 steps to a, a, a wonderful marriage, there is only one step, be filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. What secret to a wonderful marriage? The Word of God says there is only one secret, be filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. Be filled with the Spirit. Because as a husband, when you are filled with the Spirit, you will love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you understand that? It's a serious call. Hallelujah. Amen. So he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loved his wife loved himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, even as the Lord does the church. Hallelujah. Amen. And then you see, it continues even into verse 6. The effects of the being filled with the Spirit it continues into chapter 6. You know where it talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord. When a child is filled with the Spirit, he obeys his parents. Hallelujah. It's, it's over. But see, sometimes we... We look at the infilling of the Spirit as something mysterious. And I would like to show you, if you will permit me, something in the book of Colossians, also written by Paul, chapter number 3, verse 15 down. And we will see something that is very synonymous with being filled with the Spirit, so that we really understand this whole thing very well. Look at verse 15. Colossians chapter number 3, verse 15 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, write the Scriptures down so that you can meditate on it after today, I mean, after the meeting is done. Ephesians, the, the first one we read was Ephesians chapter 5, 15 to 22. The second one is Colossians chapter 3, 15 to 23. It looks like Paul just put this thing in verse 15, verse 15. Anyways, that's good. Verse 15, I read here. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Hallelujah. I can, I can preach on this word for, for the whole year. It says, and let the peace of God. Really, let it sit as an umpire in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart as the judge, determining how your heart responds to every situation. To the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word, word of Christ very specific. Let the word of Christ, how? Dwell in you richly. Not to an enough level. Richly. Let your heart be so full of God's word. And look at the effect of that. Richly in all wisdom. The effect to be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Did we see this somewhere, brethren? Is this not the same thing Paul was talking about as the effect of being filled with the Spirit? 
when you are filled with the Spirit, you speak with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and you make melody in your heart unto the Lord. When you are filled with the Word of God richly, the Bible says that you'll be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart unto the Lord is the same thing. Look at what it follows. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God and the Father by you, you. You become very thankful. You are bound with thanksgiving. And look at verse 18. He said, why submit yourselves to your own husband as it says the Lord? Is it not the same thing? The same thing. The same effect. When you are filled with God's word as a wife, you will submit to your husband as it fits the Lord. And husbands, look at verse 19. Husband, love wives and be not bitter against them. As a husband, you will not be provoking your wife. You will love your wife if you are filled with the word. And children will obey their parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children unto anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service or men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Hallelujah. These are the effects of being filled with the word of God. And we also read in Ephesians, the effect of being filled with the Spirit is the same thing. What am I trying to say? To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the word. Hallelujah. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the word. Let me tell you something. You always see the Word and the Spirit moving together in the Bible. The Bible says that God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him how? In Spirit and in truth. Truth is the Word of God. The Bible says, sanctify them by your truth. Thy Word is truth. Hallelujah. It's the Spirit and the, 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 the Word. You cannot commune with God or fellowship with the Father by en engaging and indulging in excesses like the heathens do. No. But rather, by being filled with the Spirit and the Word. And they are one and the same thing. The Bible says, the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is, is the same thing. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. You produce the same effect in you. To be filled with the Spirit, therefore, is to be filled with the Word. It is spirit that you are going to have like a lot of people think you know i must be carried away by something then i know i'm filled no 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 no. you are rolling when you maybe you feel like you, something must come upon you and you'll be rolling on the floor and you know shouting like some animal before you know you are filled no no, no that's not being filled with the spirit mm. i told you when you are filled with the spirit you have self-control self-restraint Hallelujah. Amen. Filled with the Spirit, therefore, is to be filled with the Word. It will produce the same effect in you. It will produce the same effect in you. You'll be admonishing one another. A man who is full of the Spirit, who is full of the always admonishes, always admonishes, teaching with sounds, hymns, and spirit, always making melody in his hand. He's always abounding with thanksgiving. He does all things heartily as unto the Lord. If he's a husband, he loves his wife dearly as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If he's a wife, oh, he submits himself to his husband.
as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, this is God's will for your life as a believer. This is, well, let me say, one of God's will for your life as a believer. It is not strange. You see how clearly it is written in the Bible? This is here even tells you the will of God for your marriage. <laughs> if you want any secret to a successful marriage, Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Ephesians. You see, instead of going to pay $100 or $200 for a conference on marriage, take this one. It's free. Amen. 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 And Abraham and Sarah and the patriarchs of old, they did not have any marriage conference. Rebecca, when they brought Rebecca from from her father's house, the moment Isaac saw it, the Bible says Isaac took Rebecca in, there was no courtship, there was nothing. The first day Isaac set eyes on Rebecca, he took Rebecca into his tent as his wife. That was it. And they lived together, husband and wife. In our day, after all the courtship and the I love you, still, you get married and they're married, there's, there's so much craziness and trouble. Why? It's because, you see, our understanding, huh. <laughs> the kind of thing that has been, has been fed into our mind by television, Hollywood programs, and the world, our mind is so worldly when it comes to the area of marriage. That's why we have so many problems. The secret is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word. That means that when you're looking for somebody to marry, look for somebody who is Spirit-filled and who is filled with the Word. Hallelujah. Amen. For somebody Spirit-filled, I'm, I'm talking like a pastor, forgive me. Look for somebody who is Spirit-filled and is filled with the Word of God. If a man who is spiritual, his heart is teachable, or her heart is teachable. They are submitted to God. That's the effect of a spirit-filled or well-filled person. Very important. Very, 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 very important. This is, see, this is the will of God for you. Hallelujah. Amen. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. For you to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word. Hallelujah. We give God praise for tonight. You want to lift up your voice and begin to pray. That's why every time when we meet, we are expounding the Word of God. We are expounding the Word of God. We are expounding the Word of God. You see, we are expounding the Word of God. Because it is through the Word and the Holy Ghost will fill your life. I tell you, it is through the Word. When you rather resort to certain things, if you are not careful, another spirit can enter your life. The Holy Ghost operates in the confines of God's Word. He never steps out of it. So if you want the Spirit, go to the Word. The Word of God is a seed. How do you generate oil? You grind the seed and oil comes out. And the oil is symbolic of the Holy Ghost, the anointing. So when you grind in the Word of God in you, 